I'm going to take out my Invisalign. I don't think it's affecting my speech, but just in case. Okay. <laughs> that should be the title. Okay. His headphones are off. What's you going to do? Hey there, listener. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. Um, Zachary's away at the moment, and he's taking out his Invisalign. And, uh, yeah, it's just you and me. You and me. That's it. Yep. I hope he doesn't use this, because that would not be probably entertaining for you at all. But the point remains that this is a thing that I've said, and now he's coming back, so I'm going to be done. It'll be better now. Yep, where were we? Hey there, welcome back to the College Tribe Podcast, a show about music, tech, and our experiences as college students. On this podcast, we'll discuss things we're trying out, our interests and hobbies, and generally what's going on in our lives. I'm joined today again by my wonderful co-host, Zachary Todd. Hello there, listeners. Oh, I'm wonderful. You're so sweet, Joe. Oh, yes, of course. Nothing but the best for you. So today is for the like 10th time in a row. It's Apple Week. Apple keeps announcing new things. And so we'll keep talking about the new things as they come out. And so this was their biggest event of the year. Did you watch the live stream this year? I did. Yes, I did. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I turned it on during, uh, I was doing class at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, this is the biggest event of their year for sure. Cause they announced the four new iPhones that they're going to be selling. There should be an, in theory, an iPhone for everyone, but different of mounts of the iPhone have different compromises and different ones have different things they can do as always, as is to be expected. And my basic impression of the phones that this is a fairly boring year. It's cool that there are sizes. So there's the iPhone 12 mini for people who want who like the SE. There's the iPhone 12 regular, which is good for just your average average person who wants just a basic phone that can be a medium size and do regular things. And there's the iPhone 12 Pro and Pro Max, which are good for the people that want the extremely good cameras. Actually, this is where I'm going to start to like show my hand. I actually don't know. Do they all have OLED screens this year? I think so. I think so. The mini might not, but I'm pretty sure if I had to if I had to make a bet on it, I'd say that they're all OLED. Okay, yeah, I thought that's what it was. So I'm I will say with 99% confidence that they're all OLED. So you're mostly you're picking the pro phones based on a the size and b the cameras are going to be a good bit better because there are more cameras and they are arranged in a better way. So my impression of this year was I was a little disappointed. I was hoping that there was not that I was going to buy it either way, but I was hoping that there was going to be some more groundbreaking improvements like mm -hmm. 120 hertz refresh screen would have been really nice which we have on the ipads already basically refreshing twice as fast as the current phones or i was hoping there might be a design with no notch or maybe face id and touch id combined which although it's on the ipad air we didn't actually end up getting getting that for the actual final phones which is sad but either way i had no intention to buy i was just watching because i was curious about it and because i'm interested in apple and I thought the HomePod Mini actually looked pretty cool. That kind of stole the show for me. I was like, this is a pretty good price really? for, for, for a nice speaker. This is a pretty decent price. Like they're actually competing with Amazon Echoes pretty well in this respect because the Amazon Echo is like pretty cheap for a speaker. But what do you think about these phones, Joe? I think they're kind of boring and there's not a whole lot to say. But what do you think? Because you are a small phone guy. So talk to us about it. See, that's OK. Yeah. So I um, I've talked about it on the, on the show before. I used to have an iPhone SE, which is the size of a 5S with sort of the insides of a 6, um, which was good at the time. Because really, when you make phones, you're not selling phones. You're selling, you have to think about what kind of person is going to be using your tool. So for my grandparents, right, if, if I look at them and say, okay, they need a new phone. What, what, what do they need, right? They could just as well go down to, I don't know, Walmart or AT&T and get, <laughs> and get some, you know, 
galaxy or, or uh, you know something something that's old and that runs uh, yeah they could just get the two dollar android phone that is sold at walmart's near you exactly and it does what they need it to do it does probably more than what they what what they would want to do right right and so you're already losing that battle like if you're apple you're losing that audience because they're just going to go with a flip phone for all they care right even if i was looking at apple for someone like a kid right who needed a phone who quote unquote needed a phone i don't know if i agree with that <laughs> does any kid really need a phone who could say yeah i who knows who knows but like say you're 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 looking at a young kid say you're looking at an older adult uh or you know an older person when you're looking at apple's website i still wouldn't want to go with the 12 mini because you've still got you know face id to worry about you got the swiping mechanism you've got the pull down for control like all that stuff is still confusing and people know buttons they know a button they know the, the the forehead and the chin right so even then i would still recommend the 8 right or the new se that they put out and so i i think that the 12 mini is very specific for specifically for people who want the performance and i think the screen in a smaller package and i think the the 12 right then you've got the people who just get the new phone every year and you've got them you know they're not going anywhere <laughs> apple sheep yeah, exactly. That herd is not going anywhere. I think that one of the biggest audiences is people like my mom and my aunt who go for these more expensive phones because they have better cameras. Because my mom and my aunt don't want to carry around, you know, a DSLR, Nikon, whatever, and deal with, you know, transporting files and doing this and that, which is understandable. And and that's, I think, who's going to be buying the the pros, right? And, and you know, you they also your YouTubers who want to, you know, people who want the status symbol of having the biggest iPhone with the three cameras and everything. Yeah, there's going to be three main camps here. We all know it. There's going to be the YouTubers who want to review it and just show it off. There's going to be the middle schoolers and high schoolers who think they're all cool. And there's going to be like people who actually use it, like our moms and aunts and everything who want to take videos of their kids in 4K and don't want to have to lug around a big old Nikon or Canon or anything like that. 100%. That was a really good point you brought up, Joe. It's like, it's hard for me to, in good faith, recommend any of the phones to an older person or someone who wasn't a really a technology enthusiast this year because mm -hmm. you're going to be paying a lot for even for the mini which is the cheapest you're going to be paying a lot and i don't have it in front of me do you remember how much it costs i believe it's five or six hundred it's it's more than the se and the se is 400 so you're going to be paying a decent amount of money and i think feel like that phone is geared toward a certain type of nerd that wants all of the good features they want a good camera they want a good screen and they want face id but they don't want to have to lug around a huge phone in their pocket. Maybe they want to go running with it. Mm -hmm. So it feels like all of these phones are geared toward nerds to some extent because you're right. They This is the first time in a while we haven't had any of the new phones with a home button. We've had, you know, you're, you're required to learn the swipe gestures now. You're required to learn the new kind of paradigm shift where the control center is in the top right corner and everything. Mm -hmm. It's not as obvious, I think, if you were just to pick it up and it was your first phone or something like that. Yeah. So all that being said, it's an interesting year. You know, we're moving forward. I think that next year I would be interested to see what they do, whether that be 120 hertz refresh rate or no notch or no touch ID or a combination of touch ID and face ID. And if any of those things happened, I'd be tempted and I still wouldn't buy it because I don't have any money to buy it. But it would be at least I would say, OK, that's cool. And I would be excited about it. But even though it's a very simple and boring year, these phones have just gotten so mature and boring that there's only so much room to grow. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear more about like your your photo workflow as a person and as a family. Because my family's photo workflow is essentially, it used to be lugging around a big old Nikon DSLR, mm -hmm. which we still will break out occasionally. And then it was also a separate video camera, which is extremely old. It's like 
I want to say 2010 or something like that, which in computer years is millions and billions of years old at this point. <laughs> so we would always take video on a tripod of, you know, birthdays and such and certain things that we wanted to take video of and then take pictures with the good camera. And that would, you know, whether that be on vacation back when we used to go on vacations or whether that be on holidays or we would always have just those two things going. And then over time, the iPhone kind of took over the role of both of those things. We wouldn't have the camera, video camera just going all the time. We would instead have just specific videos taken on the phone of things we 100% wanted videos of. It wouldn't be as much like videoing the whole thing just for fun. Mm -hmm. And instead of using the big camera as much, it would, again, mostly be on the iPhone for especially like at the beach and stuff. That's not a time you want your big camera. You want to get your phone in a plastic bag and have it be as safe as possible. Yep. And the best camera, I am stealing this from somewhere. I don't remember where. The best camera is the one you're going to use. So in the case, you're probably not going to even bother bringing a huge camera. But if you can get 87% of the way there with your phone camera, they can do a lot of machine learning and processing on these photos to get them looking pretty good. Then that's a pretty good deal. That's worth paying a lot of money for just for a small camera. And oh, look, it's a phone too. Isn't that nice? 100%. And like, yeah, like I was saying earlier, it's it's like, it's a tool. It's not a product. It's a tool. That's what you're selling people. And the more things you can make it do, so calculator, you know, cell phone, messaging machine, like all these things, camera, video machine, recording device, you know, a way to feel connected to people. The more features you put in it, the more that people will stop using their big DSLR cameras or their video cameras from 2011. And, and then that's how those things sort of fade out. Back in the day, uh, it was film cameras. My mom would use film cameras and I'm sure that your mom did too. Yes. She was a part of this group that did scrapbooking um was it creative memories by chance it was creative memories hey, that we had a whole room in the basement just for creative memory stuff that eventually turned into more of like a generalized room yeah but i remember from a young age like she would go down there and work on crafts and she would you know sell sell the materials and it was just like a whole a whole big thing it was a whole lifestyle yeah. the creative yep. memories lifestyle my mom did the same thing they had they had meetings every week uh in our basement i wonder if our did our moms do it together then and we just didn't realize it i'll have to ask her they might have a follow-up on the show we'll have to ask <laughs> you're listening mom <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so she would do that and she you know would get it developed and everything and so there's lots of prints in our basement um and then even when it went digital and she got a digital camera and, and did that there was still you know printed out photos in books and she would make these scrapbooks and they were they were great i, I still love looking at them because they're just a little piece of the past right but then as phones started to get better I mean, it's natural, right? If the thing in your pocket, like you said, the, be the best camera is the one you're going to use. That, I love that. That's great. If the thing in your pocket that you basically are required in our society to have with you at all times can do the thing that, you know, a five pound weight can do decently the same, you're not going to use a, a big camera. And, and especially because they get the same quality now. Well, a trained eye can see the difference. They get so close to the same quality that it almost doesn't matter. Like, yes, you're never going to be able, the lens on a big camera is so physically big that you'll never be able to replicate that with a small phone. Yep. But by faking it in software and by getting so, so close, at a certain point, it's close enough that only the most, you know, picky of professional photographers will even see that much of a difference. And you still have, you know, if depending, you can either, you know, hire someone with a fancy camera to take pictures if you want or have a fancy camera for once in a blue moon. But we're getting to the point where this is just becoming less and less necessary as the main selling feature of these phones becomes the camera. Yeah. They're less focused on blowing you away with touch ID and face ID and check out this cool screen. Isn't it beautiful? Like mm -hmm. we've gotten so good with that, that the main thing left to do is improve the software and the hardware to get those pictures just as good as they can possibly be.
in my limited view of what the future could look like, I think that, you know, professional photography, DSLR cameras will have a place in the future, albeit very small. For instance, wedding photography, right? It seems, it makes me cringe to think about someone doing that <laughs> with a phone, right? You only get one shot. You better not mess this one up. Exactly. I, I could see that having, being there for a long time. Graduation photos, senior pictures, uh, headshots, right? Uh, I had a friend do headshots over the weekend for an organization here in town. Like th those things I think will keep the DSLR camera, you know, slash just professional camera business alive. But I, I do think that it will get closer and closer to what a smartphone is. Um, and I think the majority of people will use just a smartphone because it's easier and it's right there. Yeah, I don't think it's fully fair of me to be comparing these newer phones to the iPhone 10 because over time the phones have become so mature and boring, as I said, because I was expecting there to be every three years there's something new that's cool. So when you think about it, three years on, we had the iPhone 4, which was taller. Three years later, we had the iPhone 6, which is a different design. Three years later, we had the iPhone 10, which is a different design. And now we're three years past, we're three years past the iPhone 10. So I was thinking, is there going to be a cool new design? And yes, there, the corners are different. Like the design you could argue is technically different, but at the same time, there's nothing that will blow you away as compared to the iPhone 11 or the iPhone 10 series. I mean, I'm in the camp. I like the new, like the quote unquote new design of the flat edges. I love that. That's what the SE, the old SE used to have. I'm a fan, huge fan, always will be. Um, but I'm with you. I, I, it's not enough for me to buy. One thing that does excite me is the magnetic work on the back. Yes, bringing back MagSafe. It's so cool. Like oh my gosh, that 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 might get me to switch. Um if I had more money and or like more disposable income. Yes, I would do that. But here I am. So, I will wait until they're cheaper in a few years. thecollegetry.com/feedback if you want to sponsor us, dear listener. Let's uh let's let's do some sponsorships. Your company here. We can advertise for you. You can reach a whole 10 to 20 people depending on the week. Absolutely. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. I was going to do like a call now and get like oh, yeah. a free toaster oven thing. <laughs> I wish. All right. So, now we're going to talk about the time we both watched Endgame on opening night, which was the coolest movie experience. I've ever had in my entire life, bar none. Nothing can ever top it, no matter what. Like, there's nothing you can do movie industry that you hit your peak and it's time for Zachary to retire from watching movies because it's never going to get better than this. For sure. So let me summarize my experience and then Joel will summarize his experience. So I remember looking forward to the day it came out, which was a Thursday. It was one of those deals where it technically is coming out on Friday, but at the same time, it's going to come out well, quote unquote, opening night is going to be Friday, but it's still coming out a day earlier. I don't know why they do that, but they do it. So the first time you could see it would be Thursday. You could go into the theater and there were some crazy like midnight showings. I want to say we went at like eight or nine or something. Maybe it was seven, eight or nine, somewhere in there. So I was just at work all day, pretty much, and working and thinking, I can't wait until tonight. I can't wait until tonight. And of course, when you think that the day drags on forever and never ends. But eventually the time came for me to to go in the old van, go to the movie theater. And we watched the movie. And I don't think this is like open for spoilers anymore because the movie has been out for so long. I think you're right. Yeah. So my, minor spoilers. But the audience was like the picture perfect audience because we all went absolutely insane at all the correct parts. We all cried at all the exact right parts. We all Marvel had us in the in the palm of their hands. We all did everything exactly right. What's interesting is that Infinity War was one of the first movies that 
really stuck with me in an interesting way just because the ending was so unexpected because i think i knew intellectually if you would have asked me that it was going to be a two-parter where in infinity wars part one and then there's a second movie coming out but i didn't think it was going to be as drastic of a two-parter as it was and the cynical view is to say well marvel was obviously not going to kill off all their heroes because then they're going to lose all their money essentially but i didn't realize that it was going to be like as crazy of a cliffhanger as it was so i had definitely been thinking about it for basically a year, like wondering how is this going to be resolved? Mm-hmm. How are this, how are they going to bring this all to this crazy story all together and get this done? Because even with like three hours, it's hard. It was a jam packed movie. It is a jam packed movie. It's hard to imagine how they're going to get all this stuff done. So that being said, I watched it and I was like shocked at how quickly they killed the original Thanos. Shocked. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? And I thought for like a straight hour after that happened that he was using the reality stone on them and he was actually still mm, out there. Okay. Because that was a gimmick that had been used yeah. in the original. I was like, there's no way, no way. But looking back on it, I see what they were doing with it because the original Thanos, the one from 20, would have been 2018, I think, and not the one from 2012, which, you know, you can get an argument about that. Yeah. <laughs> How confusing it was. But the original Thanos had served his purpose. In his eyes, He what he needed to do was save the universe by getting rid of half of all living creatures and once he did that he didn't care if he lived or died that's why he chose to destroy the stones and why he chose to travel off to the distant island and the distant crazy planet that he was on and he didn't care if he was killed or not he just said i have done what i came to do come at me avengers and i don't have any weapons and i'm completely shriveled up and dead and do whatever you need to do so he welcomed death with open arms which is really striking for me because how often does a villain actually succeed and then welcome death with open arms i'm sure it's happened in the comics but you don't see that too often on the the big screen and obviously the classic portal scene the, we were just going insane and i was just you know i <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to explain in words how insane mm. we were all going and i i just remember like screaming audibly very loudly yes <laughs> as he picked up the hammer i screamed i just screamed oh, that man. so loudly and you couldn't hear it because everyone else mm. was screaming yes and so loudly jumping out of their chairs so marvel good job you gave the fans exactly what they wanted and that was an awesome experience. I just walked out of the theater being like, it's time to watch this again. Like, we need to come back right now. Let's watch the midnight one. Like, I'm sure there was a crazy person that did that, even though it was sold out. Because I think it was like back in the old days when you went to movie theaters, we went like pretty early, like maybe an hour and a half or so to get OK seats. And we did get OK seats. I was happy with them. But that was just the most crazy opening night movie I've been to. I, the only one I remember in addition, it was Spider-Man Fire From Home, which was good. I mean, it's a good movie, but it wasn't wasn't the same caliber, shall we say. So, Joe, how was your experience going? Which I just recently found out you went on opening night. So how was your? It was great. We had pre-ordered our tickets and we were good Christians and skipped youth group to go to the uh, the opening show on Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why they do it like that, but they do. So we went and saw it on Thursday night around the same time. This is very weird how this is lining up. It, I must have been in the seven to nine window. And I remember we got there like an hour, at least an hour early, if not an hour and a half. And we like brought cards and we're, you know, we were playing in the uh, hallway. We were playing some card games. Like you said, the way that infinity war ended just boggled my mind when I saw it, all this anticipation had like been leading up to this moment of, okay, I'm walking into the theater and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to find out how this happened. And I'm going to, my mind's going to be blown. And so, you know, we walked in and we watched the movie. It was a lot of fun. It was something that I had never experienced before where people are visibly 
auditorily, physically reacting to something that's on the screen. I was sweaty. I was more sweaty than I would have been if I had worked out that night, <laughs> which was surprising to me because I just, I kept doing this motion of like, okay, I'm laying, I'm leaning back. This is fine to like, okay, I'm leaning up and this is like a, you know, I'm crouching over because this is so stressful and then, okay, I'm leaning back down. And like the emotions that went along with everything, it, it was just truly amazing. Um, I, you know, watched the movie and, you know, we cheered when Cap got the hammer and it was just, oh, it's so good. And I called my brother right afterwards because he had seen it the same night. And so we talked about it for like 30 minutes. It was one of the best movie going experiences I think I've ever had. And it will take a lot to be topped. But I mean, just, I mean, the movie was fan service that, that there's no doubt in my mind that they were like, okay, how can we resolve this <laughs> in such a way that people will love it like no other movie we've ever made. And oh boy, did they. They absolutely did. I mean, again, no no spoilers, but you know what I'm talking about. They they just they just give you everything that you've ever wanted and it was great. If you ask the people on the Marvel subreddit, write the next movie and finish it out, that's what yep. they would have written. You can argue about the rules of time travel and like does this make yeah. sense? Does this not make sense? But there's no doubt that time travel is used to serve the narrative, not the other way around. And that time travel is a vehicle to give certain people, certain experiences that they needed to have to close everything out successfully, shall we say. And that's what they successfully did. Well, I mean, and with the time stone, right? Like, it's not like it's impossible. Like, the, that exists, right? And so, obviously, they, I don't think they used that route specifically. They used science. and I was expecting them to use that route 100%. I thought they were going to come to Thanos' planet early on, defeat him somehow, at least, but not kill him. And take the stone, at least the time stone, and then use that to go back in time and revert everything back, which is not even close to what happened, not even a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah. See, I think what's beautiful about it is that let's think about like what I logically thought would happen was be, would be that, okay, you know, they're going to regroup and they're going to go fight him and then they're going to be beaten and then they're going to go fight him again and after regrouping and then finally, you know, do it and then they're going to beat him. If that had happened, it would have been the most boring climax to a ser like to a thing ever if it was like any other story right where there's this like okay up and up and up good down up and up and up and up down up and up and up and then finally got him right like that's boring the thing that made it interesting was that they were completely beaten they were completely beaten and then they were further cast into the dumps when they just killed him and it was like okay well this is just the way that things are now and then five years goes by right yeah, you wanted him dead. Okay, he's dead. Now what do you do? It's a beautiful use of storytelling to completely, completely rip hope away from someone and then gradually <laughs> give it back, like very gradually. Very, three hours over the course of three hours. Very gradually. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times in that movie that like people are just unsure about what's going to happen and like we've got one shot, like all the anxiety and stress that goes into that is is, is great because it it's not just like, okay, well, I know they're going to win, right? Because this is a hero movie. It's like, okay, how are they going to do it? That's the fun part. Yeah, just just a great, great, great use of storytelling. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time because I kept waiting for Captain America to die. I was like, all right, is this even the time he's going to die? Nope. Okay, is this the time he's going to die? Nope. And that's why I was freaking out the entire time. And that's, of course, not what ultimately happened. The deaths that, well, obviously, we all knew about one of the deaths, <laughs> like could have probably surmised more or less. The the more surprised death was an extreme surprise to me, I will say. Again, it's a year old movie, but 
I was like, huh, that's an in- like that's an interesting choice. Hey, okay, cut this out. Who is it? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I don't. I didn't. I never really. I wasn't super distraught. Well, yeah, I may be a bad person, but I was like, okay, that's an interesting choice. I didn't expect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I Sorry. get you. Sorry, character. I'm not sad, but I I mean I it surprised yeah. me. Good job surprising. Right, well, me. cut back in. We're good now. Punch back in. Just just bleep it, make just make it sound yes. like we said many vulgar things. All right. You were talking about you briefly alluded to sweating and heart rate and kind of thing. I was looking at my Apple Watch and my family was making fun of me silently in the theater. But it was like my heart rate was more than it really had any business being. It was like the first opening cutscene where, you know, Hawkeye and his daughter are hanging out. And it was like one ten and I was wow. like, all right. Yeah, so I it'd be funny if I went back to find the heart rate data of that and just like see what what you know correlate it to this part it was low this part it was high. I'm not sure if I could go back and see that or not, but it was it was more than it needed to be. So I was 100% on the edge of my seat. And this corresponds nicely to something I learned in my class. Shoutouts to Media 101 is that we can sometimes enter the transported state of watching where the movie to us is real. And we don't aren't even thinking about the fact that they're actors and editing mm. and someone's composing music. We're like, this movie is real life. And I am right now. I am in real life watching this. That's how these experiences are made. How really good movies can hook us in because our brain is just a monkey brain under the curtains. And it's interpreting this as 100% real life. Yeah, that's the mark of a good movie. You know, is, is can does it feel real? Are you invested? I love rom-coms. All right. Now, this is because more often than not. The person that I am, I can sort of like put myself in them, right? I can I can imagine mm-hmm. what I would do in that situation, or what you know uh, would happen if that was me. And I'm so immersed and I'm so invested because I'm like, okay, that could be me, right? And that's not necessarily the same feeling that I get with superhero movies, but the same feeling is accomplished because of how good the story is. So it doesn't matter how you get that. But as long as you feel immersed, I just think that that if a story can can be so good as to make you feel like nothing else matters and you just get horse blinders on and you're just this is the only thing that I can think about at the moment because it's so good that that's a good movie. No matter what, that's a good movie to me. So another type of media that is uh, immersive, can be immersive, is music. And we both love music. So, you know, we've wanted to talk about this for a while. Is popular music all the same anymore? You know, is there true creativity among musicians? What do you think about this? I mean, is there true creativity in music anymore? No, their creativity is dead. Get off my lawn. Oh, boy. Here we go. In actuality, I think it's kind of depends on what style of music you like. So to throw pop music under the bus, which is mostly what we're going to be talking about, that tends to be very formulaic and very, you know, we're going to use the same chords. We're going to use these four chords, these three chords. And then when you get into more like jazz, metal, video game music, orchestral scores, that's not where creativity is dead. That's where creativity is going off the charts. And you've never seen anyone mix these five chords in the same way before. And, you know, it's blowing your mind. How does this sound so good? And some of the music we've alluded to and talked about before. And that music certainly can be popular. Unfortunately, it's generally not as popular as, well, pop, because it's not when you look on, you know, on the Spotify top 40 charts and everything like that, you don't see orchestral scores in jazz. You generally see Cardi B. And, you know, is that better? Is that worse? Well, more people like Cardi B than 
jazz it's fair to say because more people listen to it like she makes more money and she entertains more people and that's sort of how how things work out so i think that creativity is somewhat dead when it comes to pop anywhere from somewhat dead to all the way dead but you know generally speaking in music that people like there's still a lot a lot of stuff we haven't tried yet i i think that there's an important distinction here to make before we move on i think when people say that creativity is dead in popular music people tend to take that as okay well not only are you saying it's not creative but you're disval you're devaluing the meaning that it has right that's not what i'm saying that's not hopefully what you're saying either no it's not because there are a lot of um I, i'm thinking of the justin bieber song that just came out about um his experiences with being lonely and his experiences with people with people criticizing him for stupid decisions that he made when he was younger, um, that if they had had the resources that he had, they would have done the same thing. The point is, we're not devaluing the meaning of pop songs, right? Not to say that pop songs don't have meaning. I mean, Ed Sheeran is a great writer who can write very meaningful things. We're saying musically, melodically, rhythmically. From a pure technical aspect. Exactly. That's where creativity has kind of reached a point and it's not really changed a whole lot. There's different tropes and things that become popular, different progressions that become popular, different you know, ways to speak a melody or, or whatever. But overall, I think that the meaning is there. The technical prowess is not always. If music is designed to be fun, to listen to and make make us happy then we should choose whatever styles of music we like to listen to and listen to those and make them popular and support those artists and the ones we don't like and we the music we think is kind of boring we just shouldn't bother with them we're not critics making like value judgments on pop music and the messages can potentially be very good obviously 99 of the time they're just talking about you know your life with your boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> but the one percent of the time they can potentially have pretty good messages two examples i'm kind of thinking of are speaking of justin bieber there was a song that he did with Ariana Grande called Stuck With You, I believe it was. Oh, yeah, I heard that. And basically that was speaking to the importance of like, you know, sticking together during the 2020 lockdown mm -hmm. and everything. And, you know, you need to stay in touch with your friends and not hide in your room and become a hermit, essentially, which is a good, definitely a positive message and a good thing to be thinking about. Yeah. And there was another Dua Lipa song that I can't remember the name of that had, it had an OK message. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Yeah, there was a song by her called Boys Will Be Boys, which essentially had to do with like the different expectations society has with men versus women and kind of like how that can be a negative thing over time. And then, you know, every other song was just like disco riding in my car with my boyfriend songs. Yeah, but, like, it's yeah, very yeah. it's very cool how some of these messages can kind of be positive, more positive messages can kind of be spread over time. Yeah, I think I think in, in a good example of this could be Charlie Puth is a wonderful artist that I love a lot. He, I believe, has a degree in jazz studies something he's a jazz musician if his piano playing is any indication he's a jazz musician and and not only that i really like his songs in general um just the way that he for instance in the song boy not only is he speaking from this very unique perspective of saying like you don't want to be with me in a relationship because i'm too young for you and in the intricacies of that like that's a very interesting concept but also there's a jazz piano solo in the middle of it <laughs> but and there just is it's very cool what i need to listen to this right now you've never heard it oh boy uh let the listeners hear that jazz solo three two one now
Oh, that was a that was a cool hit. It was like it's like he clearly knows what he's doing here. No question. Yeah. See, and that's another thing. The beats are instead of things happening on the traditional, you know, the strong one, two, three, four. He he kind of plays with it in more of a reggae style where he's coming in at times you wouldn't at first expect to make it more interesting. This baffled me for a long time, but I had to look it up. He accents the last 16th note of every uh, beat. Yeah, he's like three and a four and uh, which is a very much a reggae. In reggae, it's a big no no to hit the crash and on the one. They're like, don't we don't do that here. You need to hit it on the the uh. <laughs> he's he's a great example. He's a very, he's a popular musician, but he maintains this ability to be creative and to use things in popular music that people don't use in popular music, like a jazz solo or accenting the last sixteenth note of every beat. That that's very cool to me, and he's a great exception to this idea that you know creativity is not in popular music but there's also a lot of examples of that being the case so why don't you continue with what you were saying we kind of got off topic there go right ahead we're, we're like 300 layers deep but all i was gonna say was that over spanish class i have a tendency to loop the same song over and over again when i'm working and once i find a good song i'll just listen to it 100 million times in a row the one that i used last semester for spanish class at ivy tech was which one was it oh yeah it was attention by charlie puth so i just listened to that for and that's like it's like i can tell this is just a complete mass market pop song but at the same time this is amazing and i'm just gonna listen to it for 100 hours straight i'm not even kidding i easily played that song uh, 100 times wow that's impressive i just sort of helped me me get into focus and help me work and I don't think I ever got tired of it. I think I could go back to it just fine right now because he puts in these little intricacies and makes it makes it a lot of fun to listen to. And you don't get bored. Yeah, that's what's beautiful <laughs> is that it's not only interesting for you, the musician, it's interesting for the guy who just had his heart broke and his girlfriend is just wanting attention. And so he relates with that meaning in the lyrics and you relate with the intricacies in the music and possibly the lyrics as well, who knows. But there's something there for everyone, which is a beautiful way to approach music yeah let's go back to the beginning of this topic where we are going to discuss the junk food theory of pop music so this is something i'm completely ripping off from the youtube channel rick beato he's just a guy who discusses music and music theory which is you're probably sensing a trend here that's the kind of channels we like he has a video titled the pop music slash junk food connection which you should check in the show notes in your podcast client you know wherever you might find those oh yeah so he's analyzing the song don't call me up which is by mabel and i'd like to sort of critically think about the song in a way that he is slightly different than what he does, but definitely check out his video. This is a very cool and popular song that you will, again, I've listened to this one on repeat several times for productivity purposes, and it's just a fun song. So the basic chord structure, the song's in A major. So that's like basically the notes they have to work with there. So the main chord progression is B minor, A major, E major, and that's almost the entire song. almost the entire time. There might be like slight variations here and there, but literally those three chords over a four measure is 99% of the entire song. And you might think, how can the producers possibly keep that exciting? Won't you get bored? Well, as Rick Beato points out, they do that by bringing in instruments, taking them out, playing with the dynamic range, playing with some like, I don't have a great word for it, but playing with some like notes that kind of rub against what you might expect and that are, that are a little bit nasty and in like a nice jazz way. So the best example I have is this sound clip. I should have listened to them back then. So if you play that on the piano, you get. And you're playing that over a, 
I believe in, is that an, yeah, that's an E chord. You're in the A major scale. You wouldn't expect there to be a D in this particular phrase because there's an E major in the root. So you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't really expect that for a major scale. Like what's that? And in, in the root is like E versus E against D, which is like, it's kind of like, you, what, what are you even doing there? You have an E and a D rubbing against, but you're going by it so quickly that you might not even consciously see what happened. But you're basically that note is is kind of a little uncomfortable. And okay, quick, we're, we're going to go back to what we expect. I should have listened to the back then. It's just cool little embellishments like that that keep it interesting to listen to. Yeah, and it's sometimes those, you know, grace notes or in-between notes or notes that don't necessarily sound good when you play them slowly that make a song good. I mean, you think about if you've heard Juice by Lizzo. I'm not a huge Lizzo fan, but I know that song and it's, it uses a, let me think about this, minor 5-1-4 progression. It, well, it's in there, um, where it uses this incredibly uncommon chord in the middle of the song and quickly resolves it so that it sounds new, it sounds interesting, it sounds contrasting with what she's singing, what the melody has done, what the progression has done, what the bass is doing. Like, it just sounds great, but if you played it slowly, it would sound like crap because <laughs> because it needs to go it needs to go quickly so that you 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 get that discomfort and then re resolution. Uh, that that's that's a lot of music in general. It uses that discomfort momentarily to bring you that greater comfort, like your home, right? You you've you've gone out and you've done your thing and it's been uncomfortable and now you're back to where you need to be and want to be. Yes, and that's what makes it fun. When I think about whether or not popular music is all the same, my mind immediately goes to what older music used to sound like, 50s music, 60s music, doo-wop music, um, and, and the common progressions that they would use because they were just the right amount of this is comfortable, this is uncomfortable, this is comfortable, this is pointing me back to comfortable, and now we're home. And, and that progression was so popular because it did, it scratched the itch. It, it, created the itch and then it, it scratched it. And I think popular music now is no different. Perfect by Ed Sheeran. The verses are four chord loops. You even got now this this rise of popularity of the using the two minor. What is the name of that song? Lost in Japan by Shawn Mendes is a great example of that. He uses this but like this uh you know one major seven, two minor seven, six minor seven, four minors uh major seven. It's all got major sevens on it. It's great. And it's jazzy and it's great. And people have been using that a lot. You know, you've got the one, five, six, four progression. You got the one, six, four, five. And, and, and if you don't know what any of those numbers mean for the listeners at home, all that to say is that musicians know what works. And they know that if they can write lyrically a song that works and get a melody that works, they can slap any progression on it that somewhat works and it'll be popular most likely. And that's okay because again, they're creating this itch to scratch it. And if it does for you, then that's great. That's what's beautiful about music is that it's subjective. So for me, I'm probably not gonna like all the same things you do. I enjoy country music. A lot of people don't like country music. I get it. You can have your opinion, I can have mine. I guess when you get into it, it doesn't really matter if it's all the same. It matters whether you enjoy it and we can have, academic conversations about what progressions and what whatever but what it matters is that you enjoy the music that you enjoy and it serves the purpose that it's supposed to serve to you thanks for tuning in to the college try podcast if you'd like to visit our website you can do so at the college try podcast.com 
And as well, check us out on Instagram at the College Try Show. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the things we discussed in the episode, please check out the episode show notes, which will be right there in your podcast player. And if you've enjoyed the show and you know anyone who might enjoy it, please consider sharing it with them. I'm Zachary Todd, and as always, thanks so much to my co-host, Joe Durno, and we'll see you next time. Say goodbye, Joe Durno. See you guys later. But wait, we're not done. We're not done yet because we're going to have a secret after show time where I try to figure out the chords to Lost in Japan oh, and great. break every copyright law in the entire universe. So we've got we've got B minor 7. I got to convince you that you shouldn't fall asleep. Be a couple hours and I'm about to leave. You got plans tonight. Okay, I'm going to copyright infringement tastic. you got plans tonight. I'm a couple hundred miles from Japan tonight. I was thinking I could fly to your hotel tonight. Yeah, so it's the same things over and over again, but you were saying that it's it's not like a, you know, 2-5-1. It's more interesting than you might expect. So it's a, I think it's B-flat major? Yeah, it's a B-flat. That's my best guess. One, two, four, six, if anyone's curious. It, I think my point with that song is just to point out the fact that you have these rise and falls in popularity of progressions. So the the popularity of using the the two is is rising right now, in my opinion. You got songs like Still Feel Like Your Man by John Mayer that uses that D major seven to E minor seven to E D major like it just goes back and forth. Can I actually play that? Anyway, but like it just uses this back and forth. So the I, my point in that was just that the the rising popularity of using that two minor chord wh whichever way you want whether you go to the five or the six or whatever is something that is audibly you can hear that in in a lot of songs now so in your opinion you going to the two is a lot more popular now than it used to be just because it sort of makes things a little bit more interesting it carries the same sound as a as a four so so in the old days people went to like the four which was more like blues stuff that sort of thing they were sort of one four five in the olden days is that sort of your feeling sure and i'm even saying like like right like it's uh you know right where and that's that that was a pretty simple progression right you go c a minor f f major g major right and then back to c and that's a pretty common progression Whereas today, you might get someone who does this instead. They would go. So you're going, you're going from C to the D minor. In that exactly. Case. Yeah, that does make it more interesting to listen to. In my opinion, that can be used in place of either the six or the four. It would be used in place of the A minor or the F. I don't know. It, it, it's it's an interesting feeling that you get when, that you don't get with the six and you don't get with the four, but it's it's valuable all the same. Yeah, that that was my point in that. Have you listened to just the Hollow Knight soundtrack? No, I have not yet. I need to. Okay, this is like I'm so hooked on the soundtrack; it's ridiculous. So there are two things I'd like to point out, and this isn't going to be copyright infringement tastic. Ah, stupid Cordify.net. I have to sign in with a dumb account, incognito window. Here we go. So.
the first song I wanted to point out, this is not copyright infringement tastic because I'm literally going to play it. It's called Dirt Mouth, The Forgotten Time, yeah. which is essentially the, the first place you go. It's something to the effect of E minor. And then it after it's E minor for a long time. And then it switches to what does it switch to? Okay, so it does something you wouldn't necessarily expect. So it goes from E minor to C major to D major. So nothing crazy yet. Then it kind of modulates all over the place and goes to F and G, which you wouldn't expect. So it sounds something to the effect of. And then here we go. Well, that's kind of interesting. Then we go back to home base. That is very interesting. And then he does a few other things as well, but it's interesting how he goes. Like, we've all heard this sort of thing before. That's nothing new. And then he sort of goes up here for a little, for a minute, which is, you know, it's a simple thing, but it's a interesting way to, to sort of break expectations because generally you wouldn't be expecting that. Mm -hmm. And the most advanced song that I know of in the soundtrack is called City of Tears. So it is ridiculously complex. I love that song. So it's something. It's something like this. B flat to F minor. And then it goes A flat to E flat. So the most interesting part in my, in my mind is this part, which goes... Yep. And then we're not done yet. And then we go all over the, the place in the song. Yeah, there's this is just a, a ridiculous song. I love that song. I, I literally go to that place just so I can hear that song. Yeah, my favorite part is this this exact part. Because he's like using slightly different chords. I wish I knew more what I was talking about so I could be better yeah. explaining. But he's taking the same melody and using slightly different chords underneath it to change how we perceive the melody. So that we don't, again, once again, it goes back to we're not getting bored of it. He's taking the same, yeah. you know, 16-ish bar melody and, and just recontextualizing it in that way. Check it out. Christopher Larkin. If you learn more about that, we could definitely talk about reharmonization sometime. I do need to put that video. I'm putting that video on my homework playlist right now. I haven't watched it yet. I need to. Oh, okay. By good old 8-bit music theory. Mm, I love them. I love that video. All right. Is this the end of the after show? <laughs> Next time on The College Try. Reharmonization. Coming to a podcast player near you.